1: Welcome to the Browns Wire podcast. This is your host Josh Keatley. With me is Adam Moore, and today we got a special guest, uh, one of the writers at the Falcoholic SB Nation's website, and uh, draft expert, and also, sadly, a Miami Hurricane fan, Eric Robinson. How you doing, buddy?
2: <laughs> oh, you had to throw that last part in there. I'm doing oh, yeah.
1: good. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Well, we we actually we have-, have a. We have a, 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 a huge chunk of our audience as Buckeye fans, so I definitely wanted to throw it out there. Were well, going
2: for the record, for the record, they were robbed. The Hurricanes <laughs> were still robbed, even to this day, eighteen years later. They were robbed. Okay, so, so we're so we're just going to leave it at that. So you do think
3: it was that? It was. <laughs> it was not pass interference. No,
2: <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't. But hey, you know what? It, it, it's, it's done in the past, but I still believe in my mind that the Hurricanes have six national championships and not five. So, yeah, we're just, just going to leave it at that. We're how how, at
1: that. how wild is it, though, that, like, that really kind of did – I don't want to say destroyed what they were, but, I mean, they just had – that was like – I don't know. It felt like that was almost like that was it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, those two – I mean, I saw today you tweet out the 2001 team was one of the best teams ever, ever. I mean, right. you know, and it's just a kind of – i i i get where I get where you were
2: with the direction you were heading in with that, and you know a lot of people and you know le- well let me just go ahead and put this out uh, out there also no, the Miami Hurricanes football program is not what it was, okay they still have some ways to go, and I think we saw that this past year um and a lot of people look at that national championship game as pretty much the start of it. I don't think so. I think the start of their downfall was Larry Coker's last season when they got when when they had that ugly fight against FIU in the Orange Bowl and I believe that was the same season as well where they got blown out in their last home game um, against Virginia I think it was like 48 to nothing that was a that was a Chris Long led uh Virginia Cavaliers um but I think that was the pinnacle or that was the point where the Hurricanes program you know kind of went downhill from there you know that national title game that was that was definitely a classic ESPN has been shoving it down our throats to past few weeks and i haven't watched a minute of it you know what guys to be honest with you i still have not re- <laughs> to this day i, I have it on dv <laughs> i'm sure you do josh and i will let you enjoy it i'm not gonna i can't watch it for a couple of reasons because you know that's the, the fanhood in me i can't watch it plus you know seeing seeing guys like willis mcgay get hurt you know that was an ugly knee injury he had oh, yeah. just seeing that game again now, I I will say this: that was a game-ready Buckeye. Is it one of those teams where you look back and say, "Man, that was a legendary team"? Hell no. To be honest, hell no. Yeah. Um, all oh, their the best Hurricanes players were juniors. Was, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, well, except you know, Florette, who was uh, who was he was a redshirt. F- freshman yeah, he, that year, right? He, no,
1: he was a true freshman. Oh, he was a true freshman. Okay. Oh, yeah,
2: he was straight ball year. Um, right yeah, that was I, I. That was definitely not a team that's going to be in my top ten all-time Buckeyes team, but. You know, that was one, you know, Trestle had him game ready. I, I'll give them that. Um, the Hurricanes had them. T- they were, you know, there was in terms of comparison, the talent, it, there really wasn't much in my opinion, but they were ready. They came to play. They took advantage. They got an opportunity, and they ran away with it. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll give them that.
3: Yeah, what it, I watched. I watched. Uh, I did watch that play here. And one thing, and I, and I knew it before I watched. I rewatched it because But Miami had some dudes, man. They were loaded with like right, the, almost right. what like almost like what twenty nineteen twenty of those guys ended up on NFL rosters or got drafted.
1: Wait, I think yeah, yeah. At, like fifteen of them won the first round that year. Uh, I think that was spread out over a few years
2: after that. But I mean, you there were guys. Who are even? Everybody talks about the 2001 team, and you know the 2001 team had guys like Willis McGahee as a third stringer, but that 2002 yeah. team, they had future NFL first rounders that were backups as well. Like a yeah. lot of, like you know, Antrel Rolle was just now blossoming into a player, and you know, a lot of people didn't even really know who Intro was. Frank Gore really wasn't a household name at the time either. Um, so, you know, you had guys like Sonoris Moss on that team, Roscoe Paris, those guys were not even, you know, household names as well either. But that team was loaded. And it's a travesty that they didn't get a championship. You know, Larry Coker got a little lucky early in his career. I give him that. He walked into a very... Fine and dandy situation, um, but you know that 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 was the glory years of and I miss those years. I, I'll be honest, with you guys. I I really miss those years. Yeah, I they think know. they're on their way back. Though. They, they, they I think so
1: too. Guys. They they. I mean, they got they got Derek King coming in. They got uh, they just got uh, Gregory Rousseau transferred in. Um, you know mm-hmm. wh- who is who is the who's the other edge defender who was very good had double digit uh, sacks Quincy, last
2: year. Quincy Roche from Temple, yeah. who yeah. I believe he was like in the top five in sacks last year among FBS edge rushers. Yeah. Uh, remember they got Jalen Phillips, the former number one overall recruit back in 2017, I believe. So that's a, that's their three-headed monster right there at edge rush. So yeah,
1: two of those they, guys could they, be early first-round picks. I mean, both those guys right. could be early first-round. And I'm and and i do not want to I, I don't want to make this whole show about the Hurricanes,
2: but just just one quick thing before we move on. You know, when it comes to them, and when it comes to the program and where they need to go you know, they're getting talent. And I know a lot of people want to sit here and say, hey, the Hurricanes, the talent discrepancy is notable. I don't think it's. I think they're, are they on Clemson's and Alabama's level when it comes to recruiting? No. But I think for a team that has uh, top 15 classes, seven of the, la- of the last nine recruiting cycles, I think they're good enough to at least what you see or at least compete for an AC title, maybe not win it, but I think they're good enough to at least compete for it. And they oh, haven't yeah. even been close to that consistently. Yeah. So, you know, everyone wants to talk about trying to get Dabo and keep Nick Saban out of Miami. That's easier said than done. It's going to take some time to keep, to keep those guys out of Miami. But I think right now at this point, they can pull in talent to compete for the ACC and they can't consistently do that. And to me, that's a problem.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. They've definitely gone through some struggles. Yeah. Have you ever talked to uh, Austin Feniger? I have not. You need you need to reach out to him. He's an NFL agent. Adam and I have, he's been on the show a couple times, uh, but he was a walking right. at, at Miami. He's got he's got some connections mm-hmm. there. He love he just loves talking about the you. It's um, good good conversation. But let's dive into some Browns talk, man. As we talked about, you're a Falcons expert. Oh, obviously a, a draft expert as well. But I did want to pick your yeah. brain a little bit. No one right. should. No one knows austin hooper's game like you at least in this chat no one knows knows him better than you uh and i remember specifically you tweeting out when he left and the falcons end up getting hayden hurst where you were kind of talking about maybe i read it wrong but i kind of felt like you thought hayden hurst was even better than austin which kind of dampened my expectations. tell me what do you see what can we expect
2: well, that that statement was predicated off of pretty much their pre-drafts coming out of college. You know, Hayden Hurst was a better talent coming out of college than Austin Hooper. That's um, But over over the four years that Hooper was in Atlanta, Hooper really developed. He, he came out. You know, everybody knows about the the system at Stanford, and yes, they've been able to push out some some. Notable, some, some serviceable tight ends. I mean, Zach Ertz is on a different level, but you know, remember they had guys like Kobe Fleener, Um so. Oh,
1: Joel,
2: right. So, you know, Hooper was not in that Ertz category, but Hooper was a guy that had some intrigue coming out um, as a third rounder in 2016. Um, and he, he improved his game over time. He wasn't the greatest blocker. He's still not the greatest of blockers right now, but I, he's it's a 180 difference compared to when he came out of college to now. I think he's serviceable in that category. You can, you can have him on the field and run and he can be able to get you a couple blocks um, where he really steps his game up in his route running in his hands. Um, and that comes from, you know, working out with Matt Ryan exclusively in the offseason over the past two or three offseasons, and you can see it on the field. You know, this past year he had career highs in catches, yards, touchdowns, and I believe he also had a career high in yards per game as well. So he improved in just about every stat you can think of being a ball catcher in the And I think he still has some room to room to improvement. Um, I think a situation that he steps out of in Atlanta, he's no longer beside Calvin. I mean, yeah. Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones. But now he's beside Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. I think he's still stepping in a situation where he can blossom because, you know, on passing downs, everybody's going to be looking. Where, where's Odell? Where's Landry? Hell, even where's where's Nick Chubb? But Hooper fits what they do there in Cleveland. And I think we may see another career year from him, maybe possibly making the Pro Bowl or at least you know, a French Pro Bowler. Um, depending on how they make out, but I, I think the Browns got themselves a, a pretty good, well-rounded tight end.
1: So you t- we talked about his blocking. You said he's a, he's a much better, he's a serviceable blo- serviceable blocker. Now you, you're mm-hmm. familiar with David Njoku's game as well. When you say serviceable serviceable blocker, that you, that's still worlds better than Njoku, right?
2: Yes, <laughs> I and and I love uh, Njoku's uh, his athleticism and his potential. Oh, but yeah. if we're comparing if we're comparing comparing blockers here. I'm taking Hooper every day of the week. Um, so he's 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 grown in that aspect. And you and you gotta have to chalk it up a little bit with him. I mean, look who he play alongside his four years. You know, he had a he had a guy like Alex Matt that was you no, know, granted he played center, but he was a he was a, a veteran that he can look at and kind of pick his brain a little bit as far as how to improve in that category. You know, and, and over time he got better. Um and, and it helps when you have enough Talent on offense to where he's not really the key focal point, so he can he has room to improvement and he can he can definitely do that. Um, so yeah, so like I said, the Browns got themselves a very good tight end who was a fringe Pro Bowler. Um, he was a Pro Bowler last year, fact, but I think this year he can put put up some numbers and, and be in that in that conversation by season's end.
1: So and there's it's I am glad you say that because I'm actually on the same page as you and I'm a, I'm gonna ask you a much more specific question later on, but. A lot of the, everybody come out of. A lot of Cleveland fans believe that he's probably not going to live up to those statistical expectations because they are going to involve Njoku. It's gonna be a two tight end set, and they think that this might it's gonna be more split between Njoku and Hooper, and there's probably gonna be a third tight end in the mix, whether it's Harrison Bryant or Nate Whiteley or whatever it is. So you disagree with that. You do think that Hooper is basically on another level as Njoku, and Njoku's gonna be more of a complimentary.
2: Yeah, I mean, even though even though Hooper played with the three different offensive coordinators in it. Atlanta, the system was the same. And every system, when you go from Shanahan to Sarkeesian to even Dirk Cutter, they operated considerably at two tight end sets. So this is nothing new to him. It's it's really more of a transitioning to a scheme where the language may be different and he may have different type of playmakers around him. But if we're talking about, you know, trying to pick at him because, you know, he's going out of a, a system from one system to a system that you know, mandates two tight end sets, it's, that's a seamless transition for him because he's played in that type of uh, execution for the 4 years he in Atlanta. There's nothing new.
1: Okay, and that makes me feel good because I got another question for you. As you know, Adam and I are mm-hmm. pretty intense gamblers, Adam way more than I. <laughs> Adam's got charts for days, and Ohio's actually one step closer to legalizing gambling. So as I'm right. looking at the bank account, and I'm looking at Austin Hooper's total receptions at 64 and a half. What do you? What am I doing with my money? Am I taking the Ooh. over? Now? Well,
2: he hit the over last year, and he did Last that two years. And yeah, he he hit that the last two years. Yeah, and last year he was on, he only played in 13. He started, he started 10, and he still got 75 catches. Uh oh, my, my pants What's are up?
1: getting my pants are getting tight. I think I know where you're going I'm, with this.
2: Safe, safe bet, man. I'm taking the over if he can oh, stay yeah. healthy for 16 games. I think he, I think he gets that. I think he definitely gets 64, over 64 catches in this, in this particular And I, like I said, I love the man, but can anyone on this, on this show right now, con, you know, convincingly say that he's going to give him 16 games this year. I'm, I'm not, I'm not confident in that at all. So yeah, so I'll, I'll take that over there with Hooper.
3: God, I'm, I'm in, I'm in. I already did it. Adam, what are you thinking? I love it. I you love, love it. it too. Your chart, your charts agree. The, the only thing that, that gives me a little bit of pause, Kevin, saying what his what his approach is going to be. I know you obviously they like to run the ball in Minnesota, mm-hmm. um, but you know there's I think there's plenty of opportunity if Kevin Stefanski mm-hmm. opens it up just a little bit. I think there's enough. There's going to be enough targets to go around for him to. To, to To get to that number, and you and don't don't you know don't forget that Cleveland doesn't really have a good a third wide receiver option. So I, I can see them running a lot of twelve personnel and Austin Hooper really being the third option.
1: Well, they just signed Rashard he, Higgins, so
3: let's talk I know but,
2: he he received. Now keep in mind, he also received uh, ninety-seven targets last year, and I think he had eighty-eight the year before that, and that's playing behind Julio and Calvin Ridley, and yeah, exactly. you know yeah. with with Devonte Freeman getting you know uh, getting targets as well you know he he still was able to get a considerable amount I mean you you almost can say he was pretty much the de facto number three receiver
3: last year for Atlanta so I think that's the I I think that's the role he fills here in in Cleveland as well right right I I I think so as well um again because I I like
2: Najoku but a safer bet right now is Hooper I mean this guy has been ascending since he's gotten the and you know they, I know they want to run the ball in Cleveland. I see what they did on the offensive line, and of course, you know you got a couple studs back there in Chubb and, and Kareem Hunt. But you gotta, they're gonna, they're gonna have to balance. And everybody's gonna be looking for Odell. Everybody's gonna be looking for Landry. But Hoop is gonna be there. Hoop is gonna see a, a decent amount of targets in my opinion, simply because he shares the field with those guys.
1: I love it. I love it. Now, where can people follow you on Twitter again, so that they can harass you when they lose their savings account? <sighs> <laughs> uh you
2: can follow me on twitter at uh eric underscore robinson let me let me go ahead and say dude, <laughs> i i picked the browns last year to make the play to win the division to win it in the NFC north and make the playoffs okay i'm not i don't know if i'm gonna go that far this year but i will say this if they don't make the playoffs this year i would be very disappointed it's just and I know you guys have probably been preaching this same thing every you know every show every year, but the talent there now compared to when they went you know zero and sixteen like is light years better. I mean it's it's it, you you can't look at this roster and say man they this roster can't win nine or ten games. They are to me
1: they they have playoff talent. It's all about putting it together. So uh, yeah, I guess so. Where where do you see them as specific? You don't okay. Let me, I don't want to pin, pigeonhole you and make you say that they're going to win the AFC North, but obviously you believe that they're a playoff-caliber team. I'm assuming you still think that the, the Ravens are the best team in the AFC North, but clearly you think that the Browns are better than the Steelers and the Bengals by a wide margin, or what's your expectations? Oh, by the Bengals by a wide margin, yes.
2: The Steelers, granted, I'm not going to go out on the limb with that because I don't know what to expect from Ben Ross's what are we going to see from him? That's the ultimate wild card. You know, do they have enough talent to push for a wild card spot? Absolutely. But if they can't get things right at that quarterback position, it's going to be another year where, man, they're, you know, we're getting into week 15, 16, 17, and they may be trying to clinch a wild uh, – a playoff spot at them. So I don't know. I, when, it, when it comes to that, you know, even if they have a healthy Ben Roethlisberger in play, I still look at this Brown roster and say, man – these guys can win they can win 10 games and i'm not even talking about just getting in the playoffs and you know having a nice little game i'm talking about maybe getting a couple wins going on the on a run like the titans did last year if the titans can do something like that i look at this brown roster and say man why can't they follow that up i i I just i believe in them but the only thing is you know we're, we're looking at that coaching staff and it's a very young coaching staff so can they be the right mixture can they can they provide the right formula for this young roster as
1: well well and that's interesting too so uh, but you you do think that the Ravens how how what what is the margin for how much better you think the Ravens are than the Browns do you think that they can squeak out a win because Adam and I actually broke down the schedule a couple weeks ago and the Browns do get the Ravens at home on I think it's Monday night and like week 10 is that right Adam uh, yeah, I don't remember. It's it's a prime time game at home later in the season. Do you think that the Browns can we got to win against the Ravens?
2: Definitely, I think they can split. Absolutely, they did last year, didn't they? Yeah. Because I believe their first meeting, they went what was that week two or three, I believe, when they went into Baltimore and, and got yes. that big win in Baltimore. Baltimore. Yeah. I, I think they can do it again this year. I there guys, you you won't. You're you're talking to a guy that is a believer in the roster now. Whether like I said, whether they can put the right system with that talent. That, you know that remains to be seen but just looking at the talent on this roster alone you can win ball games with this roster and you know they had a had a really solid draft this year I think they had one of the more underrated drafts in the entire class um and, and I think they can they can take that next step in my opinion it's all about this young coaches can they take that next step with
3: but this so, is a top ten roster, and I think they had a top five draft. And I, yeah, I, right. I love everything they're doing uh, from an organizational standpoint. So the right. win total
1: is sitting at eight and a half. Where are you putting your money? Over. With, with a lot of confidence there? Yeah. Okay. Over. I, think others, I, had, I, I had a lot of confidence last year
2: in the division, and of course it didn't work out. But, you know, it they pretty much bring the same team back. Um, and, they, and they add playmakers, especially at the draft. The, the, the guys that they had that they got in mid round and later round it was just, it was ridiculous. It was unfair almost. Like these guys are just, yeah. you're looking at that front office, you're looking at that coaching staff, and you're, you're they are equipped with a roster to win 10 games, the being easily. Can they do it? We'll see. But, I, I think that roster alone can get them nine, ten wins at the at the very least.
3: Yeah, I think the biggest handicap for the Browns this year is the and I, you saw I mean, right. we all we I and mean, we Josh you and I talked about it a lot last year that the roster was it was it was really good top third no doubt yeah. about it no mm-hmm. argument about that and yep. but it just came down to coaching and in, in, in my opinion I I really like Stefanski I was banging the Stefanski table Josh can attest to. When everybody was yelling for Josh McDaniel. so I I love Kevin Stefanski. I think he's the right choice. I think this is a really good fit. Adam loves. So Trump. how
2: did you, how did how did you guys ultimately? Well, you know, over the course of the season, when it came to Freddie Kitchens, how did you guys really feel about his approach? And he didn't and know what how, he was doing. I mean, I didn't get to, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't know what he was doing. He, at all. he
1: was he was unprepared. I think that he let John Dorsey get in his ear too much. I think even if he had a plan, if John Dorsey said, "Nah, we're gonna do this," he'd be okay. Even though you know, I think Freddie Kitchens had a good grasp on the team. I think that he's a likable person. I think that he's he's probably he's a very good offensive coordinator. I think that the players like him. I think that he if he has time to think, I think that he's a pretty good coach. Um, but he you mm-hmm. know, being a, being a head guy is a different game, man. You got to have control of over everything. You got to be right. You got to be a CEO. You can't just be a a good coach. You got to be a CEO, and he just didn't have the organizational skills. He was he flew off the handle. He didn't know what he was doing, and he was trying to. I think he was trying too hard to feed the stars. I mean, you could see where there'd be streaks where they would try to try to force it to OBJ, and then there be. But then he would make weird decisions (laughs) in the red zone where he would avoid them. It's just he nothing. There was no no cohesion.
2: It it was interesting. I I actually had back on a fantasy team on one of my money leagues last year, and. Early in the season, I was looking at it. Like, I see they're trying to get him their targets, but at times during the game, you knew it was – it got to the point where it was like, okay, he's not open, and you guys are really just trying to force-feed him to make him happy. Right. And you saw that early on, and you point out, you know, Dorsey getting in, in Kitchen's ear. One thing I hate, regardless of the team, regardless of the structure, one thing I hate is a is a GM who tries to be a head I, there's, there's distinctive titles for, there's a reason why the Dallas Cowboys can't really do much because Jerry Jones doesn't know when to Yep. when you have those front office execs that want to be able to have their blue, their, their fingerprints everywhere. It becomes a problem. You need to let the coaches coach you guys general managers. So to speak. So I mean, and, and that you know, you saw that last year as well, and that's what ultimately led to their downfall.
1: Yeah, and I, they should never hired him. I do want to be clear about that. And I said that when they hired really? him, said, this is yeah, they should never, they should never hired him. He wasn't ready. You could just see that he was just. I don't know. It was almost like they made the substitute teacher the full time teacher, but the substitute teacher was just falling asleep, putting on reruns of Cops when the principal <laughs> wasn't watching. You know what well, I mean? It just well, it didn't look like a good. Ma-
2: plan you we're in that era now we're in that era now where all that takes is one season from a hot coordinator and he's yep. going to be a head coach yep like it, we we might as well swallow that pill right now it's going to be that way it, it's no longer bad. yeah it, yeah 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 he did to be honest with you he did and and that's where we're at it's probably going to be that way for a while now but every coordinator that has a hot season he's going to be a head coaching candidate even though he's probably not ready so
1: it's wild.
2: It's and, wild, and that's how it played out with him. Yeah,
1: it's crazy. And sometimes you win. Sometimes you get a guy like Cliff Kingsbury who can't even be a competent head coach at the college level with Patrick Mahomes. To each their own. It sometimes works out. I guess. I I love I love Kingsbury, but he,
2: to me, he just he just screams a college head coach. You you guys know what a college Oh yeah, and what and what. How they approach them, how they carry themselves. So I don't see him as a guy that's you know at the pro level that's willing to get in you know get in the face of a ten year veteran and say, "Hey, you need to play better I, again, I, I like his mindset, I love his offensive philosophy, but I don't know if he's if he's going to cut it here in the pros, and you know the expectations are raised now because of DeAndre Hopkins is in the building now, so oh, yeah. we'll see bro. i I think he's better off at the uh, the mindset.
1: I, I, I would agree with that
3: 100%. Have we, have we seen a college coach make that jump in the NFL and be uber successful? I mean, I, I'm trying to think off the top of my
1: head. You mean to be fired from college and be in the – I don't think we've seen a college <laughs> coach get fired and then get ahead of a, head I, a I, coach job.
2: Maybe, and I don't even want to – a lot of people toss this name out, but to me it's almost kind of uh, – that one comes with an asterisk. But every, Some people say Barry Switzer, but he stepped into a great situation. So I'm not – I can't sit here and say he made the jump – and he really was, you know, he really made that transition seamless. He, yeah. First year in, he won a Super Bowl, and then it wasn't that long until he was being re- replaced by Dave Campbell. Maybe Pete Carroll, but yeah, again, it took Pete Carroll a second
1: go-around. So how much can you really well, say? Pete Carroll kind of deserves an asterisk too, because remember he was playing with professionals as well. You know, Reggie Bush was. was cashing those checks. <laughs> Who was?
2: He was. And and I I'm gonna put the asterisk there with him because again, it was his second go around at the NFL level. It wasn't like this was his first time. He's in, he made the transition, he won some games, it looks like a college coach and do it. No, this is a guy that tried the first time and failed and he went back to the college college level. Be quite honest with you, he only left because of a scandal. Yeah.
1: So well, none of those guys were fired either. I mean, Switzer won what? I mean, he literally won an ass championship and then then left town. You know what I mean? Like Kingsbury couldn't. Kingsbury couldn't have. He had Patrick oh, Mahomes and couldn't go to a bowl game. You know what I mean? You're talking, talking about, about guys. That, you're talking about college guys that were fired that transition to the well, NFL if level. You oh, that, to, if you wanted, if
2: you wanted to add football. another layer, <laughs> I don't know anybody. I, I that's know. a didn't game at that. Point. It's wild. I mean, you don't. You get, you have, you have guys that were very successful at the college level that just fell flat on the Steve Spurrier is, you know, one that comes to mind. Nick you Saban. Know, Bobby, yeah, Nick Saban. Uh, Bobby Petrino, who I can't believe I just said his name because it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I oh, really yeah. don't like talking about it because that guy is a jerk. But, um, yeah, like those guys just,
1: I, I, don't, I don't know anybody. And I don't yeah. know if it can be done, to be quite honest. it be wild to see. Adam, what are we doing on time? we're good. We're good. We're good. All right, yeah. uh well I want I want to hear your breakdown of the Browns draft class. Obviously we talked about you being a draft expert. I I've talked to you for yeah. uh, this we are we're going into our second draft class or no, we're going to our third draft class of where I, you know we, we've been talking to each other. So I know that you know yeah. what you're talking about. Tell me what you see. Who's your favorite pick? What do you think was the worst pick? You know, break it down for me. I see a ton
2: a ton of potential with this draft class. I, I absolutely love this draft class. It is one of my favorites. They got a lot of value everywhere, not just in the early rounds. They got a lot of value start to, to uh from start to end. You know, Jedrick Willis Wills, I'm sorry, uh, out of Alabama, uh their number one, their first round pick. You know he's going to fill a void on that offensive of line. Very, uh, very little flaws coming out of Alabama. Um, didn't have a ton of experience, but you know he was a guy where you threw the tape on, really solid on an offensive of line that was just you know they have four and five stars everywhere. Uh, one of my favorite picks of the entire draft actually happened later in the in a draft in the sixth round. They got a guy in Donovan Peoples-Jones who I loved coming out of high school, going to Michigan. I'm one of those guys who believe. He was in the wrong system. I don't think – you look at his college numbers, it didn't wow you for a guy that had that much hoopla coming out of high school. But I think he was in the wrong system. I think uh, Harbaugh misplayed him, not to mention he wasn't very healthy often. But I think if this guy can come in and keep a clean slate of health, I think this guy can really be a playmaker for the Browns down the road. I like that pick. Get him in the sixth round. There's plenty of value there. Grant Delpit is going to be a playmaker. I would not be surprised if maybe by season's in or going into next season, we may be talking about Grant Delpert being the best defensive back on this roster. Playmaker has some ta- some tackling woes that he needs to fix, definitely, but you don't teach the type of instinct that he has. You either have it or you don't. And he brings that to the Browns secondary. He, he's a guy that can make a play out of Um, And he can make a play when it, when defense needs it. Um, Jordan Elliott, third-round pick out of Missouri. Another guy coming in. Um, the talent is already there on the Browns' defensive line, so much is not going to be expected from him. But he's a guy that can come in, learn the ropes a little bit. And I like him to play alongside uh, Sheldon Richardson and learn a little bit behind him. Um, also, when a guy like Eric, uh, Larry Ogunjobi, who was a, a really good rookie last year coming out of UNC Charlotte? Um, I, I like how Elliott fits that rotation again. Not much is going to be expected from him in year one, but he can still come in and be stout against the run, and he can be uh, a much more athletic presence on that interior uh, defensive line. Uh, Harrison Bryant, fourth rounder out of uh, out of Florida Atlantic. Um, this guy put on a pretty good combine. Um, he he, you throw. I think he led. FBS last year amongst all tight ends in catches. Um, and that's huge, again, from a place like FAU uh, for him to do that. Uh, he reminds some of George Kittle. I'm not going to go that far with it, but if you throw on the tape, he's the type of guy that he gets the ball in his hands. He's not, gonna, he's not a blazer. He's not the most athletic guy, but he's always getting chunky. He's always getting yards after the catch. There's, rarely do you see him get a catch and he goes down initially. He's always fighting for Again, he's another name to throw into that tight end rotation. So, you know, in case Njoku doesn't, you know, pan out, you know, Harrison Bryant can be waiting in the wind. But I think he can give uh, give that offense um, an element of athleticism that a Hooper may not actually be able to provide.
1: So you mentioned Donovan Peoples Jones really quick, and I think a lot of that was actually Adam's favorite pick too. Uh, where did you have Peoples Jones valued? Like where where did you, before the draft? Where did you expect him to get selected? I
2: I thought third was the ceiling, um, and I get why could have filled to late day two because again a lot of people look at the numbers and you, even if you look at the film like he's not he wasn't much of a playmaker as he should have been I mean, on an offense that really needed playmakers but they you know he wasn't able to stand out and again i look at the system and i don't think what they provided the philosophy that they provided in ann arbor fits his traits um and we'll see if you know stefansky is able to to bring that out of him at next level but, you know, again, for a, a big, I think it's, what, 6'5", a little bit over 200 pounds for a big body yeah. receiver. He can get vertical. Um, and he's hes hes one of those guys who's going to give you some plays. and uh, He's going to make the contested catch when need be, of course, because he's a big body guy. Um, and, again, he's playing alongside two veterans, two respectable veterans at the NFL level. And he's going to learn a future from Beckham. History. So I, I think that's, that may be a pick we look back at five years from now. We say, you know what? They got a steal. That is a true steal
3: for a six hundred.
1: I and I, I'm with you. I actually give him a third round value as well. I think Adam, you had him in a, as a second,
3: correct? Yeah, late second. Yeah, and I, But I, 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 I agree with you. I mean, I think he was a. He's the perfect pick. He's at, at in the sixth round. He's the type of guy that mm-hmm. has this huge ceiling. There's mm-hmm. a whole amount of risk by taking him that late in the draft, but you got this huge upside. And you mm-hmm. talked about, the, talked about on this podcast before, five-star recruit, uh, you know, real a top guy out of high school, had a lot of potential, right. a lot of talent, got to Michigan for whatever reason it didn't work out. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, the data's there. There's a lot of stuff that kind of proves that, you know, these, these, these wide receivers who produce at the NFL level almost always produce at, in college. And Donovan Peoples-Jones mm-hmm. didn't produce in college. But there are mm-hmm. outliers. There's, there's going to be situations mm-hmm. where that's not the case. And if you dig into what Donovan People jones had to deal with in Michigan, when you talk about the offense, you talked about, I mean, he, they changed offensive coordinators a couple of times while he was there. And nobody – I mean, and Josh kind of, bit. Kind of uh, you know, went, went at me a bit about this. But Shea Patterson, he was the only quarterback who got invited to the combine that did not end up on an NFL roster. He was absolutely horrible. And right. I mean, y- y- if you have a horrible quarterback thrown to you, you're not going to be able to put up those numbers. So I love, I love the.
2: Right. And I mean, you, and you can, you can throw in you know, Patterson's consistencies in that outlier Uh, when it comes to describing people's Jones and, and what he brings to the table and what he did at Michigan. Not to not uh, also, you know, last year, probably towards the middle, middle part of the season, you know, they started doing Dylan McCaffrey packaging. So again, yes. that's another thing where it's like, they didn't, and they, started to play rotation, you know, uh musical chairs a little bit at quarterback. And it's like, how can I how can a receiver really get a groove? How can he really catch a sense of comfort if he's seeing different quarterbacks per game so I mean you know there, there's there's some outliers when I'm not ready to give up on his talent and his ability um, but I, I look at what happened in Michigan and I, I think that's the real reason why we didn't see him blossom as he should have
1: but I did like what you said about how you could see why he was there on day three right because and you of right. pause there a little bit trying to explain his film and I, I think because Adam and I are kind of talking about this too he didn't even on opportunities where he didn't get the ball which wasn't enough obviously he really didn't mm-hmm. get a whole lot of separation uh, against he Big did. Ten defensive backs, which you know, right. you know I understand why. Uh, you know, you have kind of like Lamar Jackson, cornerback from Nebraska. That guy was a phenomenal college cornerback, very physical player, but that guy. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe that's why he failed to get separation against guys like that because he played too tentative, and I could see why that would be adjusted in the pros, but is did you kind of saw the same thing I'm guessing
2: yeah, separation was was a big issue as a route runner or as a receiver, and i I think. When it comes to that particular aspect, that particular phase of his game, I don't think that's going to be something that's going to be a calling card of his at the next level. I think he's just going to be that big body receiver that's able to get enough separation, and he's like a, like I said, he's able to make contested catches. I think that's where he's going to be. He's going to he's going to shine. He's going to be that big body receiver on third down, where if if Baker's able to put in his vicinity, he may be able to go get it. But because he's six five and and he has he has good length. Um, yeah, so separation at the next level, I some people felt like he should have been – I guess he should have been faster or seen faster on film. I don't really see it. I don't really – he's not really much of a burner. Um, and they had him at ret- – so he brings that value. But at the same time, I look at it and say, I can't look at him as a returner and say, man, he's, he can break one for 80. I'm not even quite certain he can do that. But um, I like I said, at the next level, I think he's just going to be that big-body possession receiver where – you know, he's he's going to be able to to box out some corners. And you, you did mention Lamar Jackson. I mean, Lamar Jackson a damn linebacker at corner almost. That guy was here. Not yeah. to mention what he saw at Ohio State. There's a plenty of NFL plethora of corners there. So, yeah, so he, he saw that. He's going to have to get out of that comes to just being able to make a play at the next level.
1: So, and, and I agree with everything you said. Let, let, let's go to the negative side, though. Who, who do you think was the worst? Ooh. I I
2: don't love Jacob Phillips, um, and the reason <laughs> the reason why I don't love Jacob Phillips because he reminds me enough of what the Falcons saw in Duke Riley
1: when oh he was God. drafted
2: in the third round in twenty seventeen. And you look at the college tape, you look at the college numbers, and it's almost identical. Like it's like Phillips just wasn't able. It, it really oh took him God. until his last year to find some game together, and he had that one solid year and it got him, you know, into being drafted as a third-rounder. And, again, it, you, it's the same thing that happened with Duke Raleigh. Duke Raleigh was a special team for three years, and he finally started as a senior. He wasn't even really that great on tape as he made a couple plays here and there, but the Falcons made him a third-round pick. And really the only thing he did at the NFL level, which was something – it wasn't even on the field. He had a video where he pulled a damn truck in off-season training. Awesome. But he couldn't make a tackle. He was so out of place his football awareness was bad. Um, I think that may be the case with Jacob Phillips. I'll be honest with you.
1: I um, love that you brought him up because Adam and I agree with you 100%, <laughs> and I couldn't find a valid comparison. Duke Riley is the perfect comparison. And uh, co- Correct. Tell me if you disagree, but I honestly think that Duke Riley was a better prospect than Jacob Phillips because Jacob Phillips was kind of handed the, to be like the stud on yeah. the, the senior, and he yeah. got overshadowed by, oh my gosh, Patrick, not a Patrick, scene Patrick Queen. By, yeah, by Patrick Queen. Duke Riley at least didn't get overshadowed. Yeah. And then Jacob Phillips yeah. played side-by-side side next to another first-rounder last year who soaked up all the blocks. Yeah. So, I, yeah. I, mean,
3: so I, I, okay. I think I'm seeing exactly what you're seeing. The only thing weird yeah, about I mean, is when we talked about it, he's not—he's not like an – hes not—he doesn't have like an elite profile for a linebacker. We talked about nope. how he's not really very lateral, and he's not going to be rangy. Nope. He's not going to be able to cover guys out of the backfield. But he, I think he led nope. the SEC in tackles hundred. So I don't know if he's just good downhill, or if he's if he's good That's around exactly the line what it is in the trenches, but he's—I think you he's not get side to side. I think he's good downhill.
2: When he needs to – when he pinpoints a ball carrier and he needs to hit a gap at a certain speed and make that tackle, he's going to do it. But if you're talking about a a guy that needs to go sideline to sideline, a guy that needs to play in space, I don't trust him. Um, And and I think you you look at him and his game and you think, man, he's supposed to be athletic, but you don't see it on tape. Like, he has the height, weight, the measurement. He has all that. And you think playing in a system like LSU, like, man, he's supposed to be flying everywhere. I don't see that and i and i I get what you when, when you point out his tackles, but I, there's been a couple of times I looked at him on film, and I'm like, dude, he probably got a half a tackle because he was next to the pile i I saw it a few like yeah. he he just he didn't wow me, especially that, for a guy like this
3: third round yeah that that's certainly not going to work against Mark Jackson or Joe Megan or it's guys fine. like that well it's, so ex- explain fine. to me. And so let, let, let's break it down.
1: Let's bre- tell me what the thought process was because the Browns took Sion Taki, Taki which you can now – Sion Taki T- I'm not comparing Taki Taki to Phillips but Taki is – checks a lot of those same boxes, right? More of a downhill banger, not real instinctive, you know, doesn't have a whole lot of superior athletic traits. And then they drafted Mac Wilson, who's a guy who who is very good in coverage, but all you know mean like kind of the exact opposite, but also not, I guess he doesn't really check a whole lot of athletic traits either. And then they drafted Jacob Phillips again. Don't you think he's very similar to what they already kind of have? Like aren't you a bit shocked by I mean, if when you look at the linebackers that were available, and I know Evan Weaver went in the sixth round, but at the time, I mean, mm-hmm. Evan Weaver it, he does have those instincts at the Browns' locker You know, the the linebacker core lacks, or even Malik Harrison. Mm-hmm. I know I'm biased saying that because he's from Ohio State, but Malik Harrison he was the big boy linebacker in Ohio State's defense. Mm-hmm. Similar prospects, but he was the dude. Do you mm-hmm. do you agree with that, or what do you? Th- yeah, I mean, I
2: when it when it came to Phillips, I I never looked at him on film and said. Okay, he's definitely you know a third round guy. I, I just there's definitely some things that on tape that I struggle to see from him. Um, and it's just I, I worry about it. There's a, um, the um man, what was the guy uh, out of Appalachian State? Oh Akeem Davis Gaither, mm-hmm. athletic, another athletic okay. linebacker undersized.
1: yep, but yep. If,
2: you, if you want a guy that that's in space, if you want a guy that can give you something in space, he was definitely one that I felt should have went higher than Jacob Phillips. Um, you know, and, and he, he, he fell into the fourth round to the Bengals. It's just, I, there's, they're banking on, they're banking on potential. And even though there were better linebackers on the board, you know, I think Troy Dye out of Oregon on the board Yep. that they, that they, they, uh, they passed on for, for Phillips. Yeah. They're, they're banking on what in the program. That's what they're really banked. It's LSU. I, um, yeah. so let I, me- I don't, I honestly don't know guys. I, I, I really think by season's end, I'm not even quite sure if we're really going to see much from them. Outside of
1: specialty. And I I would agree with you, but let me, let me ask you another question because you you're you're in touch with, with the with these guys as recruits, right? You're a lot like Donovan where well, you've been yeah. watching these guys since they were in eighth grade. Yeah. Jacobs Phillips mm-hmm. was, was a, a former five star you know under armor all American player uh, but you're not the first person that's told me, well, they're banking off potential, right? He's big. You know, he, he mm-hmm. should be, he does look like an athlete, blah, blah, blah. I've heard the potential mm-hmm. gimmick before. And I, I get that. I really do. But this is a guy right. that was kind of handed a lot of opportunity in the SEC at a primetime program. I mean, right. don't, at some point, don't you, don't you see more potential with the guy like you just said at Appy State who was undersized, but super productive or a guy that maybe is, I don't know. I just I don't see a guy that's been given every opportunity in the world at a major program like that uh, at some mm-hmm. point it, the, he just didn't reach the potential. Why would you think he's going to hit the NFL? What am I missing? What am I not seeing? And
2: man, that's 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 all about honestly at that point that's all about having certain connections in certain places and you may have you may have a certain connection with the LSU program and they may say one, all it really takes is a couple coaches to say, hey, this guy's going to be good. Don't worry about what you see on film. Don't worry about what you see on, on you know, on the stat sheet. This guy's going to be good. And this is why he's going to. And that, that may be the case where, again, I mean, like I said, the Falcons did the same thing with Duke Riley. There was watching him coming out of LSU. I, I can easily say I was one of Thomas Dimitrov's worst picks ever. Just watching him come out of LSU, watching his tape for that one year, I looked at it and said, How the hell did he go in the third round? The guy didn't do anything special. The instinct wasn't there. He might have had a couple of interceptions, but you look at the interceptions he's had. One was Chad Kelly threw behind the receiver and he was just in the right place at the right time. It wasn't even anything like, oh man, he made a play. He didn't do anything. And I think the same thing goes with Phillips. Phillips has the, you know, he has the numbers on the paper, but you look on the tape. The guy struggled to stand out. And I know there was plenty of five-star talent around him. But, hey, if you're, if you're a guy like Devin White or if you're a guy like Deion Jones, you know, they made themselves known, even though they were undersized. Um, yeah. I just didn't see that from him. And like you said, he got outplayed by Patrick Queen. No one even knew the hell Patrick Queen was coming into the twenty nineteen. century. Right. Very few people did. And he outplayed them. So I, I, don't, I don't know, man. I, I think this is their rolling the dice here when it comes to Jacob Phillips a little bit. Maybe it works out. Maybe it doesn't. I'm not banking on it, to be quite honest with
1: you. Who do you think was the better prospect coming out? Duke Riley or Jacob Phillips? Jesus.
2: Are you really <laughs> going to put me on the spot?
1: Just curious.
2: Because <laughs> thi- when um, you said
1: that name, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. Was Riley better than Phillips? But you the best, the better prospect coming out? Yeah.
2: I tell you what. I'm why... going to say Phillips, but I'm not going to say that with a whole lot of confidence. Like, okay. I, I, both guys were overdraft. Both okay. guys were day, were day three. Um, and I'm going to say Phillips. I I really don't know. Him. I really don't. They fell in love with hitting it once with Deion Jones, and they thought they could hit it again. Um, yeah, they missed that one. I I did not see what they – that guy was a specialist. He played three years on a special. Hey, he he was just – there was no way in the world he should have a third round. Right? He should have been six at best. But I'll I'll
1: say so. All right. Okay. Let me ask you one more question, then we'll let you go because I know we're running short on time. Okay. But you mentioned yep. Grant yep. Delpit's tackling it. Okay. And I know you're very familiar with Grant Delpit's game. So let me ask you this. Do you think well let, let me tell you my opinion, okay? I see when I look at the safety class, I saw a lot of safeties with tackling. You know, Brandon Jones, kind of the ta- safety from Texas, right? So if I'm making right. a list of my draft eligible safeties, Grant, uh, Grant Delpit, as far as tackling issues goes, isn't in the top half for me. I feel like his junior mm-hmm. tape, I feel like he still made tackles. I feel like he put himself in the way of the ball carrier. And I feel like his, junior, right. his, his 2018 tape was better than his 2019. What do you see? Am Definitely. I being biased? No, I, I agree.
2: I, you know, because as I watched his 2019 tape, you know I, I kept wondering is is what's what's up with him you know was he was he really 100% for the whole year and I, and i don't think he actually was you know his 2018 and his 2019 table were totally different now he wasn't the greatest tackler in 2018 but he was always in the right place at the right time was able to make enough of a play, as far as tackling goes, to actually make the or be in on or, or to con- contribute to making a play, you know, in 2019 you just saw so many whiffs, man. It it wasn't right. You know, a lot of times, a lot of times he didn't bring his arms when it came to wrapping up. He wanted to go for the boom, and I hate that defenders want to do that nowadays. But that's that's what he did, and and a, he got caught with it. Um, can he improve on it? Definitely. But I don't think when it comes to athleticism, when it comes to playmaking ability he reminded me so much of Eric Reed when Eric Reed was at LSU and Eric Reed was that tall safety who looked like a strong safety, but man, he was able to fly around and make a play on the ball. And I think that's going to be Grant Grant Delpit's um, bread and butter at the next level. I think you're just going to see a guy that he's adequate as a tackler, but dude, he's making a game winning pick. He's making a game winning pass breakup. He's doing something in coverage. Or just instinctually he, he knows the game. And I, I think honestly his biggest flaw is his tackling, but I think that's one he can overcome. And if he, he if he overcomes that, the guy's a pro bowl to say the next level, without a doubt.
1: I love it. I, I, I completely agree with you. I told Bill and Adam uh, last week that I still had him as a top-fitting player in my own safety because I, I couldn't remove myself from his 2018 film. Now, again, was right. that the right decision? Probably not, but that shows you how much I liked him. Uh, but we did, We right. appreciate you coming on the show, man. Uh, this was a for good sure. time. I'm glad we, we were finally able to do it. We've been on uh, Donovan's show for a while, but since he's on hiatus, I, yep. thought, I thought I'd reach out to you.
2: <laughs> Yeah, he 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 walked out on it. He left us. He was the Bobby Brown of New Edition. and Went
1: out and, and left the group behind me. and
2: did his own thing. <laughs> yeah, he did his own thing.
1: But it, but I, I wish him the best, man. That's my talk. oh yeah, big time. They're making little flyers definitely. with his face on and stuff. I've been sharing them on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, I'm happy. I'm happy for him. I'm happy for him. And you've been yeah, do, you've been doing good definitely. stuff. I mean, even if you're not a Falcons fan, a Falcons fan. You guys need to check out his work. I mean, because you, you, I love what you, you, those throwback pieces. I thought that was such a good, such a good article because you were looking back on players that like weren't stars, right? They were just you know contributors that maybe. Oh yeah. The, the I, I, yeah. yeah, I love that. I love how many of those pieces he got out. Uh, I
2: think I've only done two of those, I believe. But P- Eric Tingram was the la- was the most recent one. That's
1: right. And yeah. and
2: you know that's a name that. When you hear it, you automatically think of when Pittsburgh, and you kind of forget that he was in Atlanta for four years. You also forget that he was top five in rushing in his third year in the league, I believe, and I think he topped Barry Sanders that year in terms of rushing yards. Um, you don't hear you don't hear stuff about that, and it, it was it was very interesting to come, for them to for my editors to approach me with that, and it was it was fun. We, we should definitely keep that going. Yeah, I all it. season goes, through. I'm ready for football, it. guys. A, I don't know about you guys. <laughs> me too. It, it needs to get here. It yeah. needs to get here. I need some type of live sports, man. I, I get tired, <laughs> of tired of watching. I get tired of watching replays of the games. This is this ain't fun,
1: man. I hate this. I'm
2: not gonna lie. I'm. I I hear. You. Where
1: can, what they, where can it Where can everybody find you on Twitter?
3: Yeah, hold on. I got. I got a question. Uh, you, you're talking about the Falcons. I I want to pick yeah. your brain here about this uh, upcoming. season, okay. Assuming we're gonna play. First, I want to hear what are your thoughts about Todd Gurley? Is is he going to be able to rebound? Second. Obviously, we've got a lot of vacated targets with Austin Hooper. Do you think that uh, Hayden Hurst comes in and scoops up all of those, or do you think it's Calvin Ridley's breakout year? Um,
2: oh, man, two good questions. When it comes to Todd Gurley, um, do I like the signing overall because of you know, the number value that come with it? I do, um, but I'm a realist. And Josh can tell you, I, I, when it comes to giving football takes, like I, I keep it plain and simple. You know, and, and I, I really don't hold back as much. But if, if there's a Falcons fan that expecting or if anybody is expecting 2017 or 2016, Todd Gurley, we may never see that again. Um, arthritis in the knee, that's not, a, that's not a, a problem that can go away with surgery. It's not a problem that's going to go away with rehab. That's going to be ongoing. And the guy is 27, 26. He's yeah. already having authoritative mm-hmm. What does that tell you? And when when it when it comes to dealing with arthritis, it gets worse as you get older. And the guy's already twenty six and he's already having authoritative. I it's gonna cut his career short. Um, I think he's gonna have a good year. I think he's probably gonna give him fifteen hundred scrimmage yards, fourteen, fifteen hundred, thirteen, fourteen test downs combined. But I'm not looking for NFL offensive player here, Todd Gurley. I'm not gonna hold my breath for that. I don't I think we've seen his best days. He can be, he can contribute to this offense, definitely. Um when it comes to Uh, The tight end position, I like the trade for Hayden Hurst because there was some potential for him coming out of USC, Um, and he played in the system probably. I I honestly don't think the Ravens system was right for him either. Um, I see what they're doing because he has a lot of traits that's similar to George Kittle. And I think what we see with George Kittle, like that's the flavor of the month now. Everyone wants a tight end that kind of fits that big, lumbering tight end that's athletic and is able to drag ball carriers. And I see that's probably what they're doing with Hayden Hurst. I think he's going to get a decent amount of targets. I think he's going to be fine in this offense, to be quite honest with you. He's going to be better than advertised. Um, and to me, when it comes to this Falcons offense and their success, I'm not worried about the offense. I'm not worried about the offense. I think they're going to put up 28, 29 a game. I'm worried about the defense, um, and that defense can be the difference between them being 8-8 eight eight or 11-5 and, and making the playoffs.
1: So you, you talked about Todd Gurley there. I want to I rewind um, because you're being a realist. Yeah, I, I completely – and I agree with you, but his prop his season total for rushing yards is set at 1,050.5. What, are you saying over or under? Because I know you said his total, you expect his total yards to be over that amount, but this is just rushing yards.
2: Mm, man.
1: I know oh, that's a good I'm, number, right? <laughs>
2: probably a good I'm, line I'm line. taking I'm taking over, but I'll be honest with you guys, I think barely over. Yeah. I like barely. Oh, so you're not you I, wouldn't bet this game then. I uh, know. I wouldn't I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Like I said, I think he gives them 14-1500 and I think that's combined, you know, rushing and receiving. I
0: yeah.
2: if, if he may eclipse 1000, but I don't think it's going to be by much. I really don't. I Devonte, it's just yeah. DeVonte Freeman
3: the most yards Devontae Freeman had in a season, just over a thousand fifteen. He only did it twice in fifteen.
2: 15- yeah, and there's and there's a there's several factors in the reasoning why I don't think he's going to have that big of a year. One, you know, Dirt Cutter, who I'm not a fan of, to be quite honest with you. I think he's an average offensive coordinator. You look at his history in the league. The guy doesn't like to run the ball. Okay, yeah. that's that's just he's been ranked in the twenties in rushing yards literally every year, just about since he was the OC in Jacksonville when they had the whole Fred Taylor, Maurice Jones, Drew thing. And even that, that element, when he was there, man, they were top 10, maybe once or twice in rushing. The guy doesn't like to run the ball. And I don't think this is going to change because he's got a guy like Todd Gurley in the building. Um, Not to mention Matt Ryan is still, Matt Ryan is still chugging along as a passer. And I, that's your bread and butter. That's what gets you to the dance. I think that's, that's how they're going to, they go far. It's going to be because of Matt Ryan, combination of, of Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. So, and not to mention, I, I think the work you're going to see a similar workload in Atlanta, like what you saw in LA. And I know Falcons fans don't want to hear that, but it's going to happen. Either he's going to start off slow to the year, and they're going to save him until the end of the year, or he's going to try to get off to a hot start to quiet the naysayers. And then once playoff time comes, you see Gurley has. Twelve carry games and ten carry games and thirteen carry games. I I don't I don't expect a full workload for him. Kind of what I, happened? I, like
3: kind of what happened with him and the Rams that, that Super Bowl year? Yeah, yeah, it, it, and it it came out of nowhere. We were all wondering,
2: like, wait a minute, why does Todd Gurley have twelve carries in a playoff game? <laughs> oh, now we know they ran him into the ground, and he couldn't yeah. he couldn't you know he couldn't have a sixteen game or eighteen game workload.
1: Good old Cadillac Williams uh, syndrome.
2: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. He he has the same issue knee issue as Terrell Davis did. And you guys remember Terrell Davis literally just fell off the cliff.
1: Oh yeah, he had like one year. <laughs> yeah, literally fell off the cliff. Yeah, he stole Little. he stole the NFL MVP from Randall Cunningham in '98, and that was it.
2: Yep. Yep. And it was it was done. They moved on to Atlanta's Gary, and that was it. He has the same issue as Terrell Davis. So again, that's why I'm not holding my breath. Wait, what was the running back after Terrell Davis? Uh, it was a combination of Orlandis Gary and Mike Anderson and Mike
1: Anderson. I remember Mike Anderson. Good for yeah. you for remembering that. Good for you.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he, Mike Anderson had that hybrid fullback, H back role, but that was because they didn't really have a running back, so they had to depend on him a little bit. And, and not long after that, that's you know, they got Clinton Portis and they started riding the Clinton Portis train. But yeah, Davis fell off the cliff and then they just rode Mike Anderson and Orlando Gary and those guys were able to turn out a thousand yards like, like nothing because of that offensive. Yep.
1: Well, I, we appreciate you coming on, dropping your, dropping your Falcons knowledge, your draft knowledge. Uh, like I said, That's you want to warning. tell everybody where they can follow you on Twitter again?
2: Yes, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Eric underscore Rob.
1: And, again, just to recap, he's saying take the over for Cleveland Browns at eight and a half wins and over yep. for Austin Hooper's 64 and a half receptions. And then make sure you DM him hard and often when you lose. <laughs> <laughs> he, loves, he loves it. Thanks, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God. Adam, all where right. can they hit you oh. up at?
3: Uh, you can follow what, me on what Twitter. What <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> At more2102.
1: And then you can follow me at Josh Keatley. sure so you hit us up, follow us, give us a review. We're out. When others treat
0: your fries as an afterthought, all you're left with are cold, soggy fries. When you're moving, Pods knows flexibility matters because plans change, closing dates get pushed, renovations take time, and packing is a lot. Instead of a traditional moving truck, Pods delivers portable storage containers right to your driveway. Between moves, you can store with Pods, and if plans change, your dates can too. Get a quote today at Pods.com or by calling 1-877-973-PODs. Pods moving and storage. Trusted with over 5 million moves.